ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Joining me, as always, Zach Bartles. Zach, what's going on, man? Oh, man, nothing. I'm just excited to be back on These Go to 11. I know, right? It's been, what, a month? Forever. I texted you that I was afraid it may have died, <laughs> that I may have helped, you know, I, I, as caretaker of the sacred flame, it may have died in one of my hands and one of yours. And I thought, mm. uh, no, no, we can't. You can't kill these go to 11 that easily, man. Can't do it. We, uh, and we had to turn it up. We, you know, we was just about to fizzle out. And we turned it up that last notch to 11. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> just just that little extra. <laughs> <laughs> uh how have you been doing man oh i'm good i'm good i'm good i've got um, I, i've had such a strange december and january so far with all these weird things uh ministerially speaking uh you know there's every once in a while a pastor will say man they don't prepare you for that in seminary and like i've had like nine of those in a row and i've been thanking god that it, it didn't happen like my first month Right. We <laughs> waited for 15 years in, you know, when I've got it all figured out. That's so right. That, that's that. right. <laughs> but, but I'm doing better than I would have been uh, floundering uh, even uh, after about five years of ministry. It's, right. Uh, so, yeah, it, 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 life is good and, and, and life is very interesting. Oh, man. Christmas and New Year were good for you as well with the family? Oh, absolutes, man. So, I'm, you know, I'm, here's a little girl talk for you. All right. Um, I've been taking weight off, and uh, I'd gotten down about 26 pounds. I put three to four back on during the holidays. Okay. I was just like, I don't care. It's <laughs> Christmas. In fact, I even made that a sermon illustration. Uh, and then, I mean, like it's been eight days since uh, the New Year's cel- uh, celebration, and I back down one below where I started, so – Nice. I'm doing well, man. I'm uh, I'm not not fooling around here. I need to live a long time. Good for you, Got man. Stuff to do. Good for you. Now, are you just uh, eating a little less, or are you actually getting in and working out? Oh, I'm doing it all, man. Doing it all. I've got uh, I've got a workout program here, strength training, cardio. I've got uh, the what do you call the thing on the phone? I switched finally from the one on my uh, Palm Pilot, which yep. was. Calorie King, you already laughed at that once. Don't laugh at it again. Uh, and I switched to my fitness pal. Okay. And man, I'm just you grab something, you scan the barcode, you pop in the amount you're eating, and you're good. And it just keeps you right on. Uh, I I do acknowledge the superiority of the the Android being connected to the internet all the time in that one that one little area. Nice, nice. Good for you. How man. about you, man? You were talking about uh, kind of getting uh, back in the in the saddle and get back to your fighting weight or something, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So actually, um, I managed to get a Fitbit over Christmas, so I too have synced that up online, which I'm loving because um, it can do all sorts of crazy things. It's kind of like what you were talking about. I can just go in there and pop in the food, and it brings up you know, all the calorie count. If I go out to a restaurant, it has the specific calorie count from the restaurant menu items. Um, so I am uh, really enjoying that. And one of the neat things that I've been noticing is, uh, I put in all my projected weight goals where I want to be in, in the time frame. So it gives me a calorie count a day that I have to eat minimum. And then if I am exercising or I'm walking more, it increases that calorie count. 
Uh, so that way it's like, okay, well you're doing exercise and you're moving around so you can have a few more calories today. So it's actually really cool and I'm really enjoying that part of it. So, you know, what's funny. There is, was, is no more, but was a podcast called the gut check podcast in which one of the hosts was named Zach and one of them was, I don't remember what. And they talked about <laughs> losing weight. The gut check was like checking the gut and keep it from growing. And I was just thinking, what if the other guy was named Nathan and the whole thing kind of spun together? (laughs) (laughs) We just just seamlessly bring it all in. (laughs) The gut check, check. The gut check, go to 11, lose weight with Zach and Nathan. I don't know. Never mind. (laughs) A spinoff of a (laughs) spinoff? Or a spinoff of a... Uh, doppelganger you know there was the uh fake gut check podcast that's like a really bad sports thing uh conversation these guys do and then uh there was another these go to 11 out there obviously there's more than one we don't own that idea right, that's right. <laughs> but um people were messaging the facebook page did you see that in a different <laughs> language yes like four or five people and i'm like what is going on and finally somebody was like oh oops wrong page <laughs> Oh, uh, but that's that's the brilliantness of of this podcast, Zach. Is you know people just click on it, not really knowing what it is. There it is. Yeah, I don't know that that happens, but or <laughs> that they come back if they do. <laughs> uh, man, well, we are uh, we are back at it, and I am uh, super excited jumping into the new year, um, and we are going to be talking a little controversy tonight. Uh, about our uh, old boy uh, Frankie Chan here. Um, and Zach, why don't I go ahead and play this clip first so that way our listeners can uh, have an idea of what we're talking about uh, in case some of them like me uh, have been living under a rock and have no clue. Um, so let me go ahead and play this and then uh, let's let's dive into our topic today. Some of the stuff I didn't know. I didn't know that for the first 1,500 years of church history, everyone saw it as the literal body and blood of Christ. And it wasn't until 500 years ago that someone popularized a thought that it's just a symbol and nothing more. I didn't know that. I thought, wow, well, that's something to consider. Um... And, and I, while I won't make a strong statement, I will make a statement about this. It was at that same time that for the first time, someone put a pulpit in the front of the gathering. Because before that, it was always the body and blood of Christ that was central to their gatherings. For 1,500 years, it was never one guy and his pulpit being the center of the church. It was the body and blood of Christ. And even the leaders just saw themselves as partakers. And oh man, we're not worthy, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. I say that because the church is more divided than any time in history. What does this book tell us clearly? That he does not want any divisions in his church. And for... A thousand years, 
there was just one church. Did you know that? We're so used to growing up in a time when literally there are over 30,000 Christian denominations right now. But for the first thousand years, there was just one. What was interesting is communion was at the center of the room every time they gathered. There it is. Wow. Wow. So, Zach, I uh, I got to know, uh, coming from a pastoral perspective, uh, your thoughts on what he's saying. For, first of all, actually, if I can, if I can, let, let me hear your thoughts on what he's talking about in terms of the historical perspective of things, because I was, uh, when you introduced me to this idea, I had gone around and I had been looking on some different things. Um, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into, you know, a lot of the, the comments and things like that, that are being made about this. But, but one of the things that I found interesting, uh, was, a comment that was made it, it basically uh, he's completely wrong when it comes to church history. Um, that he is, yes. So, <laughs> can you uh, talk about that for a little bit and just where he's coming from? Uh, because that seems to be his whole his whole premise is, oh, I went back and did all this research, and this is what I found. Now. First, can I say that, yes, he's dead wrong on so many levels here, uh-huh. uh, theologically, logically, and historically, but you and I aren't, like, blowing this up. This was already right. something a bunch of people are talking about, and I don't think it warrants the controversy. We're addressing it because it exists as a controversy, right? but what it was was just one – hold on, let me bring up a head that – yeah, here it is, sermonindex.net. Um, founded in 2002, access over 100,000 sermon resources, over 100 million MP3 sermons distributed in 18 plus years, 50 plus million views on YouTube. So this is somebody whose uh, who's life work or a group of people is just providing sermons. First of all, awesome. Yeah. Um, there's so many places where that's hard to come by good preaching. If you're, you're part in a you know vast majority Muslim or Buddhist area or something, great. And so they've got this Twitter account that's just posting clips and sermons and stuff and, and pictures. And they posted this thing by Francis Chan. And I don't think – I don't think Francis Chan – in fact, he says – I'm not making a big statement at the beginning. I don't think he meant to right. stir up controversy. It just sort of happened. Uh, someone saw the thing. Someone commented on it. The right person got into the fray and it blew up huge. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think – I had posted as gut check. Uh, I posted a thing that Ricky Scott Clark, uh, remember him uh, yeah. from the, the thing with, with Ted? Yeah, yeah. He had yeah. responded to it in a great way. He's very knowledgeable about a lot of this stuff, church history and things. Um, and uh, I posted a thing of his and I said, I think this is a good response, but more than anything, I'm excited for Francis Chan to be able to get out of this um, kind of echo chamber and tinderbox and arrive in, I think he's going to Myanmar to minister as a missionary to Burmese people, to proclaim the gospel to them and meet their needs and minister and be the kind of guy he is. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. So no anger toward him or anything. That was just my disclaimer. Yeah. And I'm assuming you feel the same way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I haven't 
followed him as closely as I have some other uh, pastors over the years, but I've never had anything but um, respect for the things that he has tried to do in his ministry and the awareness he's tried to bring um, in bringing people back to a a Christ-centered gospel. And so I think, you know, that is... Uh, that that needs to be said, you know, and we do need to make that disclaimer up front is that, you know, we're not sitting here like, oh, my gosh. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we don't want to tear him down. We want to lift him up in prayer and we want you to lift him up in prayer if you're listening to this. Uh, and not in a way like he needs to repent, but in like right. a way that he'll that for his safety and for his ministry. Right. As he goes into this next amazing chapter of his life. Awesome. Uh, and, you know, if, to me, was this your experience with him when he kind of rose initially? He came up right when Rob Bell was was getting farewelled by everybody because he was getting wonky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Francis Chan was like, oh, there is another young, super cool guy who makes interesting videos and says things in an unusual way and uses props in like, ways that aren't cheesy uh, it was almost like we had a new, better Rob Bell to replace the one that had just gone heretical. <laughs> and, and this one is a minority, so like even better that we can like pat ourselves on the back as the evangelical church saying, "Look at we're inclusive," because right. um, it was kind of at that period in time too when people were like getting really tied up about why is this such a incredibly pale. Uh, Deus every time we have a, a conference, um, and that needed to and that needed to happen too. And and this is a guy who came in on his own, uh, just ability to communicate and and solid stuff and challenging stuff. Um, and so I'm I will not. It would be hard for me to go. Oh no, he's gone on the wrong road. Okay, sure, sure. At the same time, his specialty is kind of the bro. Listen, I want to break you out of the box you've put yourself in or maybe the box you've put God in like right. that kind of thing. And I think he just got a little outside of his wheelhouse. So yeah. historically there's two things I think that have to be addressed. And the first one, I'm going to go backwards. Okay. Um, the first one's the pulpit. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know what it looked like in first century new Testament churches. Mm-hmm. Um, people say, well, they always were in the house. So then they were eating together, breaking bread together. It must've been just around a table. Well, no, what happened even within the first century is wealthy people, you know, you often will read in the new Testament, say hello to the church that meets in so-and-so's home. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and these are people who are like, obviously well to do. Anesimus is a great example. Uh, finally book of Philemon, Mm -hmm. um, this kind of thing. So, uh, or yeah, yeah, I'm thinking the right thing. And uh, so we're thinking of um, homes that would be built around a courtyard, and often it looks like from archaeological stuff that's coming out that pretty quickly, even before Christianity was actually legalized in the fourth century, mm-hmm. they started kind of retrofitting large homes to be and function as churches, yeah. uh, which meant we, I assume, following some kind of synagogue. Uh, kind of set up, which yeah. would mean someone they'd bring the word up front and center. Yep. Um, and it was it was held up high. People would put their fingers like it was honey. They'd pull it to their lips as it went by. As it was the procession. It was presented. And n- no, there wasn't um, the kind of pulpit that we see now because this position for teaching was to sit. Right. But there was essentially a throne. 
Right. Uh, and this is how Jesus would have been teaching in the synagogues. This is how Paul was teaching in the synagogues. Right. Uh, but what came to my mind, and it was because I've been doing a reading program that has me in Ezra, mm-hmm. I was thinking about the book of Nehemiah, which I preached through 10 years ago. And I remember this passage. I'm going to read just a real quick bit. Nehemiah 8, uh, it starts, uh, let's see, verse 2 and following. I'll skip a little bit because there's lots of tons and tons of names that you don't need. Uh, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And Ezra stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. In the King James, it says on a pulpit of wood. Uh, And beside him stood blah, 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 tons and tons of guys. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. Mm -hmm. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. It almost sounds like I'm describing a church service. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so the people understood the reading. (laughs) And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is a holy day to the Lord. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So they're convicted, they're challenged. And he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing for this day is holy to our Lord. Now what's being described there is kind of a a rediscovery and and reinstitution of law. But it shows that there was already kind of the sense way back then of if we're going to read the word, if we're going to come together, this is called a solemn assembly in in Nehemiah chapter 8. If we're going to read the word – uh, we are actually going to put it up high so we can hear it. Yep. It's going to be described a sermon. It's going to be explained so we understand it. Uh, and this is not some 15th century, 16th century uh, Reformation borrowing aspects of the Renaissance or something. Uh, it's just, it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. Right. Um, right. And so I think that, I don't know, It's it's easy to paint with too broad a brush and I might even be doing it now, but mine's not as broad as Jen's right. when he's, he's thinking, well, they wanted to downplay, uh, the mass. And so they subbed in the pulpit and the, an exposition of the word instead. And that's just not an accurate portrayal. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the, uh, the second piece that you were going to, well, yeah. So the at? other thing is, um, talking about, the view of the sacrament. Yeah. He says, he starts it with, I didn't know, well, I didn't know for 1500 years, everyone in the church viewed it as the literal body and blood. Actually, let me bring, I have the, the quote here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. I'm talking through burps over here because I'm middle-aged. <laughs> okay. I'm not making any grand statements. I'm just saying that some of this stuff I didn't know. And again, I mean, so this is the very humble Chan we expect where he's saying, I didn't know this. I, I'm not telling you anything. Just I'm learned something. Uh, he needs to learn more. I'm sure by now he knows that. I'm, I hope he's not wrapped up in this. I hope he's oblivious to it, getting ready to go do awesome stuff. Yeah. I didn't know that for the first 1,500 years of church history, everyone saw it as the literal body and blood of Christ. And it wasn't until 500 years ago that someone popularized the thought that it's just a symbol and nothing more. I didn't know that. Now, it was actually – about 500 years ago that someone popularized the idea that it's just a symbol and nothing more. Uh, do you know what 
here, man, I just totally fell into some dorky pastoral vibe. But Nathan, do you know what we call that view? That it's a mirror memorial? Uh, not a mirror memorial. No. I don't it know. It starts that. with Z. It's not the Baptist view, even though a lot of Baptists today get really confused and think, oh, it's just a, it's just a memory. It is called the Zwinglian view. Oh, okay. Um, Zwingli, I'm sure you're familiar yes. with Zwingli. Yep. Uh, he died on the battlefield, and uh, it was said he, he was a – they're lazy, a terrible Christian but a damn good Swiss. Um, <laughs> he, his teaching was basically like I'm, I'm wearing my wedding ring now. I can actually take my wedding ring off. Wow, that's cool. Um, for a long time, it, it would not come off. Uh, not that I take it off for any reason. It's nice that it's not – I'm not that fat anymore. Um, I, I knew where you were going with that. I knew where you were going with that. <laughs> the, the the view, and I'm wondering, you know, if you've encountered this in Christian churches, uh, Protestant churches, the, this Zwinglian idea, this mere memorial idea that it's just like a wedding ring on your finger is a way to remind you you're married, but you don't really need it. And, you know, it's just a symbol. It's almost arbitrary that we wear this ring on this finger. Mm-hmm. In the same way, yeah, this meal, it reminds us that Jesus is with us and he died for us. Uh, and it's kind of almost an arbitrary way. And there's just like there's many other ways I could be reminded that I'm married. There's many other ways we can be reminded of what Jesus did for us. And that's kind of the the Protestant view. And and the only other alternative is the Catholic view that it's a unbloody re-sacrifice of Christ on the altar where, you know, he, he's literally molecularly present. And we paint this kind of cartoon dichotomy. Have you encountered that? Yes. Yeah, I have. I have encountered that before in – uh, some of the churches that I've been in. I trust you haven't in your current setting. <laughs> <laughs> correct. <laughs> that would and be I, correct. I've actually heard that man preach on on uh, the Lord's Supper. And by that man, I mean Greg Dutcher, uh-huh. who I used as a sermon illustration a couple weeks ago, by the way. Really? Yeah. Um, but uh, And I called him my friend. And then I had just this moment of, is he my friend? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he is. And I felt warm. And then I realized I wasn't talking. And I started talking. Um <laughs> A pause in the service that everyone's like. Let's take a pause for Zach to realize he has friends. Um, Aside, I really need to get together with you guys in person sometime soon. But uh, so anyway, oh man, I'm all all full of tangents today. (laughs) That is a newish view, and it's not the view we hold as Baptists. And I'm not saying we, you, and me, because I know you're non-denom. But uh, (laughs) but we Baptists, since I'm not the only Baptist, I say we. It's not the view held by the majority of Protestants in the Protestant Reformation, the vast majority. uh, And the only other alternative is not transubstantiation. And transubstantiation is not the view of the ancient church, uh, or even the church between the early church. We'd say early church up to about 600 is, is how I learned it. And then you have uh, beyond that where we start to look into the medieval church and the Reformation church and the modern church. But for the vast majority of the time leading up to the Reformation, that wasn't the view either. It's a ninth or 10th century doctrine, transubstantiation, that the, the bread and the wine literally change into the literal blood and body of Christ. And it actually doesn't become in any sense, settled doctrine in Rome uh, until like the 13th century. Yeah. And I don't know about in the, in the East, they have a, a different, slightly different view. But then when we come to the Reformation, uh, the Lutheran uh, formula is that the body and blood are present 
in, with, and under the elements. So the elements are still there. The bread is bread. The wine is wine. Christ is present in, with, and under. There's mystery to it. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I take communion at, uh, well, not not really conservative uh, Lutheran churches because they have closed communion. But if I'm at an right. ELCA church that preaches the gospel, um, I will, I'll take communion because I read their statement. It says, if you believe Christ is present in the sacrament, you're welcome here. I'm like, oh, I believe it. Right. He's present. Um, and then you have the, the, what did Calvin say? He said, just as bread and drink nourish our bodies. So these holy elements nourish our souls. These, mm-hmm. this holy meal nourishes our souls. So just in the same way that you're fed, Physically by bread and wine, this meal is feeding your soul. Yeah, I'm looking for. I've got the Baptist Confession in front of me. Uh, here it is. Uh, this is the 1689, which was actually written in 1677, and is kind of a mostly a copy of the 1646 Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 30 of the Lord's Supper, Section 7. Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this ordinance. Do then also inwardly by faith, really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporally, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death. The body and blood of Christ being then not corporally and carnally, but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. So that's the same thing as, as uh, Calvin when he says just as. Yeah. You know, you can grab, this is bread. I can smell it. I can eat it. It feeds me just as I'm doing that physically, spiritually. And, and I, I can get, you know, I can see the the mystery in that too, the in with and under. Uh, and I think it was Calvin who said Luther and he could, you know, in like in half an hour hash out their differences. They never got a chance to, but they, they right. could have you <laughs> So that's not either view. It's not the Zwinglian. It's just a memorial. It's just a symbol. It's not the uh, medieval Roman Catholic. It's the literal, molecularly, the literal, literal body and blood of Christ. So it's, that's not the, the, the choice that we have. Mm-hmm. It's making a false dichotomy, a false disjunction. And – I mean, the church. If the church fathers had taught transubstantiation, mm-hmm. there's no way Luther would have uh, viewed the the sacrament any other way. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't do the the Anabaptist thing of chuck everything and start over. Right. I mean, this is a guy who held to the the perpetual virginity of Mary. You know, anything that he had no reason in Scripture. To jettison, he kept, which is why when you go into a Lutheran church today, some people go, this feels Catholic. What they mean is it feels high church. Right. It feels like it's in that, you know, it, it hasn't started over to be as stark as possible. So there, he, he's way off base with both of these things. And what he's trying to do is hard to tell from that little clip because the intention of that clip was just to pique your interest in sermonindex.net. Right. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. What, what is the yeah. teaching that you guys have at your, your church there? Um, what is the name of the, the city that you're in? Uh, we're in Falston. Okay. Or not Falston. Uh, Sorry. We were in Falston. We're in Forest Hill. Oh, my gosh. He doesn't know what city his church is in, this guy. <laughs> the holidays were hard on Nathan. They were. Um, <laughs> and and, and uh, his martial arts training, he's taken a few roundhouses to the head lately. <laughs> uh, you know, you have, I, I you was have no idea. Elvin, my son the other day, 
I was always told that I've heard it called different things. They're like reverse roundhouse when someone actually turns backwards and and with the the power generated from that twist mm-hmm. swings the leg up to connect with the back of the heel. Yep. That can kill someone, can it? Yeah. Like that's got to be super careful with that when you're when you're training because that is really really dangerous. Yeah, it, it is. Um I don't I wouldn't say Martial artists have gotten loosey-goosey with what can and can't kill you. Um, (laughs) I would say, yes, it's possible, but probably not likely. I mean, I've been belted with some hard kicks before, some some good spinning kicks before. Um, Wearing headgear? Oh, no. No, straight up with the head. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So I've taken taken some good headshots before. Um, I actually – I have a um, uh, cut. Uh, on my right above my eyebrow, uh, most people don't notice it because of where it's located. But yeah, I split split my eyebrow open because uh, a guy did a spin kick like that and 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 hit me in the head. Um, so I, yeah, but anyway, where where were you going with that? <laughs> I was just saying you're taking a lot of kicks to the head. Oh yeah, and, and uh, I was, I I, my, my son was like, "No, you can't die from that." I was like, "Just be." I remember watching the Olympics. Yeah, and uh, that's why I love the Taekwondo. That's, yeah, 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 I don't know, and I know that Taekwondo. A lot of people like scoff at, like it's beginner karate or something. I, I don't know. I think it's cool. Korean martial art, very cool. That's what I trained in for some years, and I like the basicness of it. Yep. Um, like on Cobra Kai, when he says, "What was that? Jujitsu or MMA or something?" And he goes, "No, it was karate. Old school karate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> love old school karate." But I remember watching a guy get hit with one of those kicks. With full like puffy headgear on, yeah. and went down, and medics came because he was unresponsive. Now, granted, an Olympian kicking you in the head is right. <laughs> something, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think people. I, I said it to my son because I was like, "Don't, don't fool around with this stuff. This yeah. is, this is a, this is a fun activity, but this, the human body can really generate some strength. Oh yeah, some power." Um, all right, so let me try and segue the power of the human – of the body. <laughs> this is my body and power back into it. No, I can't do it. Um, I, so, no, what I had done is asked you what, yeah. what Craig teaches about the <laughs> It says with an ADD flair on the podcast description. Oh, man, that's great. Uh, yeah, I, I would say I don't know um, specifically if it's as – um, nuance, but Greg would definitely put it in the same category as, um, you know, baptism that there is, there is nothing in there that is saving you, but there is something that is, there is a mystery in there that you are connecting with, with Christ at a different level, uh, than, than you have before. Um, you know, what is it about baptism that we, we become saved and we need to be baptized? If it doesn't save you, why don't we need to do it? Or why do we need to do it? And so there's, there's this mystery there of, well, Christ, Christ commands us to do it. And so we follow him in obedience in baptism. Um, and so we look at communion the same way. There is, uh, I don't know if Greg would say this specifically. I would, because I, I'm familiar with the term. It's, it's a sacrament, you know, it is sacred. There is something that is going on in there, as you mentioned earlier, mysterious that is happening, not the literal uh, blood and uh, uh, body of Christ, but also not just 
like you said, not just the wedding ring. Oh, I can take it off and put it on. And, you know, there are a hundred other ways to do it. No, there's something very special about this meal that we come to. And, uh, God is doing a work in us, um, that, that is just different and unique in, in bringing us back to that point of, of salvation, remembering what his son did for us on the cross. So, now, what do you think about the term means of grace? Um, define for, that for, for me. Like in, and, in what context? Uh, the context of saying these these ordinances or these sacraments are a means of grace. Like grace in salvation, or like yeah, grace grace in salvation. Um. I, I would say no because not grace and justification. Okay. All right. Um not not I, I think I think in terms of um God using so God using them as a means of of grace in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Sanctifying I, yeah. you making you more into who you are meant to be in yeah. Christ. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I would It makes no me a little uncomfortable that. that term and that's why I love it so much. <laughs> Because nice. it makes me a little uncomfortable. And, and it's funny. People think as they watch this, maybe Chan is on his way to – he's drifting to you know, orthodoxy, capital O, Eastern Orthodoxy, you know, mm-hmm. Russian or Greek or something, um, or to Rome. You know, he's, he's drifting east or west or maybe to Canterbury or some, right. somewhere else. <laughs> Um, because we've seen it before. We've seen this movie before. I don't yeah. think he is. I, again, his plans don't seem to include that. And, right. Um, but I think what he might be doing, and I don't want to – I'm just going to say I've seen this a lot, and maybe he's doing it. I'm not going to say he is, is how it's become very, very popular to say – and in fact, you and I even had a guy on, the house church guy, yeah. the early church, yeah. house church thing. Yeah. It's become so popular to say, now, I'm a Christian, and I love church. But not what you're thinking. Right. The way that you're thinking of church with a bunch of people crammed into a room on a Sunday and some guy gets up and reads from this dusty old book and then talks about it for 45 minutes or 25 minutes. And then we have the, the Lord's Supper on a, you know, and, and they just bring you a little bit. And that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Church is something totally different. I think that's become way more popular than it ever was. Yeah. Now, Granted, it was very popular in you know the '60s with the Jesus people, and mm-hmm. even with kind of the um, uh, early early Willow Creek stuff yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but you know, everyone has their version of it. But it's so popular now, I think, because people want to be able to talk about Jesus without having to address any of the baggage of the church. Yeah, and yeah. If they can totally divorce themselves from church as church. Um, and, or even just say, forget church. And, you know, I love Jesus, but it's just, it's more of a relationship. Uh, it's, you know, it's not religion. It's, it's just a personal faith. And what is it, James? Ah, this is the only true religion. It, it's yeah. If you're, or, or, or passages in, in Paul about this, the mystery of our religion, uh, religio reconnecting. Um, um, yeah, I think this is here to reconnect us. Um, but all of that, do you do you find that that's becoming more popular? And what if so, what do you think is the itch it's trying to scratch? Yeah, I think 
I think honestly, when I when I've had conversations with people, and I've had a number of them over the years who have who have been talking like that, you know how how can we redo church? I mean, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put all of those conversations. I'm gonna boil them down into this into this statement. How can we redo church so it's more palatable for me, for others? How can we redo this thing? And I think the problem is, uh, well, I, I think there are several problems, actually. I think one is you're assuming that man is the one who's directed the way the church has grown over the last several thousand years and not Christ, who's the one who said he'd grow his church. Um, and so I think, you know, do I think there are problems in the church? Absolutely. But let's go back all the way to the first century church. I think there were problems all the way back then, too. Um, and so I think people are trying to look around and they're, they're trying to accomplish on earth what's only going to be accomplished in heaven. Um, I, I think, I honestly think that's part of it is they're looking around at all the problems. They're looking around at, oh, let's, what's the best way to reach people? And they're trying to come up with a way to do that instead of just saying, well, how about we just preach the gospel? I mean, it's worked so far. Um, you know, how do we, how do we best communicate or commune with one another in the body of Christ? You know, in, uh, in 2020, how do we best go in and, you know, make this idea of community in the church work? Um, and so I think a lot of people are trying to go back and reevaluate. So you've got, uh, that, that gentleman we had, you know, from, uh, uh, talking about the way they do their church. And I mean, it's interesting, but at the same time, it's like, well, you're kind of bringing a lot of ideas that are, you know, 2020 related into your idea of the first century church. So you're not completely going all the way back right. like you seem to want to. So, um, you know, so at that point, w- why are you deciding on these things and not others? Um, I, I think, I think in this case, um, I'm finding it more and more interesting in the age of technology that people are very much willing to uh, believe things that they see on the internet. And I'm not saying this is what Francis Chan has done, but I can't tell you how many times people come to me with misinformation that they've gotten from someone else that that person has gotten from something on the internet and they've just they've sold it as being true, um, and so you know when when Francis Chan talks about oh this is what people you know did um, you know for the first fifteen hundred years and this or you know up until fifteen hundred years ago and this is you know what was taught and I again I don't know the research that he did um, but it it doesn't seem like it was you know, really solid. And so I'm hoping that in this particular case, when he's out on the mission field and, you know, he has time to be really diving into to the word of God and he has time to, you know, be, be really reaching the loss that, you know, he'll go back and revisit this and be like, oh, that wasn't, I, I really didn't do my due diligence on that. Um, but I think, I think that's a lot of what's going on is, you know, just, trying to figure out how to make this thing that that this this vehicle the church that God has said he's going to use and he's going to um 
you know, bring people uh, to his father through this thing, how, how is it going to quote unquote work? I think people truly believe it's broken and it needs to be fixed. And what are we going to do to fix it? So I think the first place people, what the first thing people do is they jump back. Okay. What was the first century church like? And instead of reading it in all the flaws, I think they read it with the rose-colored glasses of, oh, it was this idyllic, perfect situation where everybody was praising God and getting along. It's like, have you read the book of 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians or Galatians? Have you read any of these books where they were having massive, massive issues going on in the body of Christ? And and they just they came together under the guidance of the church leadership to, to work through these things. So what are your thoughts? Why do you think people keep diving back and trying to rework this thing? I think you're right. And I think that I, I sense, I, I experienced this myself and, mm-hmm. and I, and I, I sense that it's a, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling because I don't want to sound condescending. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you say I, one of my least favorite things is when someone who's like older than you, mm-hmm. and this happens to me less and less because <laughs> you know every day a smaller percentage of the population is older than you. But when someone that's older than you says, "I used to be think the same things you do and say the same things you do," and then I grew out of it, uh-huh. uh, that's a logical fallacy. It's annoying as all get out. It's and it's stupid because like I remember someone saying to me, oh, "I had those political views, but now I'm 30 years older and I've moved to over here." Mm-hmm. It, with the the implicit, you know, you will, will too. will happen, right. And I, I remember it just occurred to me, I said, that's funny because my father had these same views, but maybe was a little closer to you when he was my age. Mm-hmm. And now he's further to the side that I'm at, you know, and, and he's kind of a, a role model for me. He's a very righteous man. And so the assumption that, you know, someone's going to grow in the direction you did, I think is just fallacious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they were speechless. They were, they, they, they didn't know my dad and they didn't want to take a shot at him. Right. So, um, but anyway, the, the, so let me just say, I'm not trying to do that. I, and it may come off that way, mm-hmm. but I remember, um, a point at which I wanted in my youth in my youthful zeal in my semi rebellion, the kind of rebellion that had me you know, smoking cigars while at a Christian college that rule out, outlawed smoking cigars. Okay. Yep. This kind of like the corniest possible kind of non-rebellion, um, wanting to be edgy. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of Christians on campus, it was a Christian college, a lot of Christians wanting to keep their faith because it was precious to them. And indeed, we believe it's now their identity, part of who they are, but wanting to still be edgy and somehow rebel. And so I remember, you know, going through a few weird phases, one of them in which like I was, uh, I put a question authority bumper sticker on my car and, and was always kind of, uh, well, no, that's what they want you to think. Like, kind of niche conspiracy theory guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which for uh, the end road of that was like reading some Jack chick stuff and going, wait a minute, (laughs) this is dumb. I almost (laughs) fell into a very dumb subculture. Um, or, you know, you, you go through these, uh, I'm, I'm leaning to, you know, stuff that just seems sexy to you because it's not normal to you. So if you're Roman Catholic, 
maybe you, th- that's when you start reading John Calvin. Right. Or if you're in Grand Rapids, Michigan, maybe you start going, huh, this Greek Orthodox stuff I'm reading, Frank Schaefer, before Frank Schaefer went loony, this is really compelling. Maybe this is what my Christianity will look like because it's edgy to me, but it doesn't mean rejecting the faith. Mm-hmm. And I still see that happening all the time. And when case by case, I remind myself, this is part of growing don't be condescending when dealing with this one individual person. Right, right. But looking at the trend, I think why people are drawn to this kind of thing and why it works and it grows your platform is that it's, you know, if, if you're saying, I mean, this is, even if you go super mainstream, someone like Jen Wilkin or the, you know, the girl that's always washing her face or whatever, like, Ooh, it's Christian, but not that kind of Christian. Right. So I don't have to reject Jesus, but I also don't have to deny myself. Right, you know? right. It's it's always going to be compelling. And at the end of the day, I'm saying the same thing you were. We're looking for uh, a, some other way to express a faith that is ancient mm-hmm. and that has become uh, commonplace to us that yeah. doesn't feel commonplace. The proper way to address if it starts to feel commonplace, the love we had, our first love is, is growing cold. It's, it's you know, it, not transformational or exciting is to go back into the scriptures. Yeah. And to say, okay, wow, I there's a lot of work that can be done inside my heart. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways that I can uh, – live out this faith and proclaim this gospel that are exciting that don't require me to ditch the church I go to or go to some wacky other tradition that, that seems exciting and sexy to me in the moment and itself will be commonplace in a few years if I converted to it, you know, (laughs) and it doesn't require us to just chuck everything and say, well, no man, I can't go to church. I am the church. Um, which only works until you learn any theology or any Greek. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't require that stuff, but maybe it's important to go through that, that phase. Now, somebody like Francis Chan, who I myself personally look up to, um, doesn't, he's not in that, in that phase. And I don't know how new that clip was of their millions of clips. Is that new this week or is that, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I didn't track down the original sermon, Yeah, but if it is something that he's uh, a drum he's beating now, it's a bit disappointing. And, and again, since I've already sounded condescending, I'm just going to sound even more so and say Francis Chan is better than that yeah. and can do better. Uh, and, and that's, that's all I have to say. I think um, on the topic, it's, it, it is disappointing that it became a controversy more than it's disappointing that he said it. Yeah. If he said this, Every time he spoke for the next six months and it became this is the new thing instead of crazy love or whatever, this is the thing that he's on. Right. Okay, we need to address it. If he just said it once in this kind of noncommittal, I'm not making any big statements way, leave the guy alone. You know what it reminds me of? What's that? Do you remember when Dan Hazeltine of Jars of Clay – and again, I don't know where he ever landed with this or I haven't looked into it or researched the guy. But uh, do you remember when he posted on Twitter like a question? That said, can anyone tell me from the Bible without, you know, referring to just basic American good old morality when 
homosexual marriage is condemned. Mm-hmm. Now, the answer is yes, I, right. I can. But instead of saying yes and lovingly, and, and yeah, I get why you're asking the question, right. and I get why it's we struggle with this. Like if, if people are born with these uh, desires, God made them that way. Why are, how can we then say, you know, this Jesus who accepts everyone from tax collectors to prostitutes is, I get it, and here's some biblical direction, and you should talk to your pastor. Instead of doing any of that, 99% of Twitter, like, turned on this guy like a rabid dog and started shaking him, you know, and it was right. just like, if he was in that moment, and I don't know if he was, but if he was feeling like, I don't know if I belong in the church because it seems hateful or whatever, all you did was reaffirm that Right. Him. Yeah. So that, that, that's why Twitter sucks, right? Yeah. yeah. Have, can you think of an example when that's ever gone well? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no. <laughs> and I can think of times I've been part of that mob. Oh, sure. And in retrospect on, oh, Zach, that was stupid. And, you know, I can also think of times that I was part of the mob, realized it was stupid, and then instead of publicly on Twitter saying, I was wrong, this was stupid, I just said, oh, only two people liked it, no one responded, I can quietly delete this. (laughs) (laughs) Not great. Oh. Yeah. This is why you don't go on Twitter, right? You go on to post, we have a new app, and then That's you right. <laughs> go back to the sane world of sane people. Uh, well, and, and in all fairness, you've got to remember that even though I'm you know, slightly younger than you, um, I'm not terribly younger than you. And so you know, I grew up with you know, AOL Messenger where you – know, and then rolling into MySpace and Facebook and all that stuff. And so I've had – plenty of my share of saying stupid things online and doing stupid things online where when when I finally got around to getting Twitter, I was like, nope, I'm just – I'm going to use this only for the podcast. I'm not going to use it to, to jump on anyone or do anything and – um, but I've had my share of that stuff, you know, where I've been there and done that and have been the recipient of things like that. And it's like you said, it, it never, never goes well. I mean – how many times, you know, does somebody just sit there and and post something, uh, an innocuous question, and ask a question, and you know, five hundred different people ask, uh, you know, jump on it and and have to insert their opinion on things, um, and it's like, you know, that's not that's not good for anybody. <laughs> do you ever uh, do you ever see that Seinfeld episode with the uh, Kenny's chicken? I, I think I've seen them all. Remind me what that was. So like they uh, – the, the Kenny's Chicken just opened up a store right across from Kramer and it's got that bright neon sign that's like yes, beaming. Yes, yes, and he gets like a sunburn from it, yeah, right? Yeah, and then he uh, – and then uh, he ends up going in or I think it's George ends up going into Kenny's Chicken but he's got like that that faux Russian hat that like feathers are flying all over the place and so he's like banging it all <laughs> over the place and he's like – He's like, oh, that's not good. That's not going to be good for business. And then uh, the the manager's like, that's not going to be good for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I feel like you know that's just that's how Facebook and Twitter are. You know, when when people start posting to those things, it's just oh, that's not going to be good for anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and most of it, I think, 
there, there have got to be several kind of braided together impulses that mm-hmm. lead to these lynch mobs that that I wish I could say from without I've never taken part in. I I, I, I can look inside myself and say, one, Frank Turk's favorite meme, someone on the internet is wrong. <laughs> and somehow I've decided I'm the police of that and I yeah. can't sleep if I know someone on the internet is wrong. Two, we just like being able to have a scapegoat. Yeah. That should be a need and a desire that is satisfied in Christ mm-hmm. who was quite literally the scapegoat in that he fulfills the scapegoat, uh, you know, th- th- where the sins are transferred in the old Testament, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and both, both of the animals actually, he, he fulfills the whole sacrificial system. Um, and yet for some reason we also like to go, I, I think that kind of maybe related in a third thing, because you need three in a braid, and a, sadly a cord of three strands is, it can't be broken right. easily, um, is this kind of if I'm pointing at someone else who said or did something wrong, it points away from me. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. so there's the kind of it's fun just to to be part of a pack bullying someone. Um, which is a sad, sad state of affairs and is when we're most in tune, I think, with our wickedness. Yeah. Um, and then it's it's comforting to point people away from me because now we're looking at somebody else. Yeah. And those things together, I think, prompt us, even with with stuff where what was done was downright wicked, you know, Harvey Weinstein or something. Mm-hmm. I think that the obsession with dogpiling online mm-hmm. – is probably rooted more often not, than not in, in something sinful in the ones doing the dogpiling. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, I mean, anything. You know, I mean, we did that um, podcast over a year ago when, um, you know, Stephen Hawking passed away. And, you know, people were like, oh, well, you know, I guess, you know, God's getting the last laugh now and you're, you know, burning in hell and all this stuff. And it's like, man, like, uh, you know, a family just lost – this person friends just lost a friend. Like, you know, can we like have, you know, some moments for grief and sympathy, you know, I mean, and we do it to each other. I mean, you know, Rachel, the held Evans, when she passed away, you know, I mean, how many people were like dogpiling on, on that? And it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, this husband just lost a wife, this, you know, these, these children, I think two daughters, right. Just lost their mother. And, really, this is the best that you have to offer up. Um, but you know, there, there's some sick perverted pleasure and and you're, you're absolutely right, Zach. It, it points to, it points to our wickedness as people, you know, it really, it does. I mean, it shows that man, we, we need, uh, God, we need the ultimate scapegoat, Jesus Christ to, um, to to supernaturally remove that from us and to begin to do a work in us, you know, so that our first responses aren't that. But, man, we, we really need to be praying for these people and, you know, lifting them up. And, you know, the Bible tells us weep with those who weep. Um, and so. Yeah. But there's when we're talking about something as simple as this guy is his teaching is off here. Mm-hmm. I don't want to suggest that that's in the same category of like, okay, hold on, hands off, just let's support and build up. The scriptures say, say nothing um, 
Oh, good grief. I used to know so many passages by heart that now I have to paraphrase. Say, say only what is useful for building others up. I'm trying to remember what the other, the flip side of that is. Um, but basically, you know, obviously don't be tearing each other down. Mm-hmm. There is also, though, a place for rebuke mm-hmm. if someone's way off base. If someone's a brother in Christ, you do address the the teaching. Mm-hmm. You just do it in a, in a kind way. Right. Um, right. I think that it's it's easily done, and most of the time you don't need to address it. Yeah. If someone else already has in an adequate way, I think our work here is done. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and chances are it's it's not even that it's been done in an adequate way. It's been done by you know a peer, someone who you know probably knows them or has at least some kind of contact with them. I mean, you know, me going on there and and addressing you know on his you know, Facebook page or whatever, this stuff, who am I to him? You know, I don't, I don't have a a relationship with him in that regard. So he's not going to know me from anyone. And so it's not going to do any good. Um, you know, I think, I think there is this aspect of, well, if it's truth, it's truth. And so I'm just going to say it and be blunt. Well, first of all, you know, you can say it in love. Um, but second of all, how about, you know, uh, if there are others who are, you know, closer to the situation and they're saying it, you know, like you said, does it really need to be said by you specifically? Yeah. And I think the, at the heart of that is, I know with me at the heart of that is, uh, we all believe that we are so important that everyone needs our opinion yeah. on every matter. <laughs> and obviously Every form of social media has reinforced that. It's not even a lie. It's a delusion. Right. It has reinforced that delusion so that we all think I have to sound off on everything. Yeah. And man, I miss, I miss a time when sitting in a chair, staring off into the middle distance at the end of the day was how men dealt with the stress of work, not firing up their laptop to like lash out at people. (laughs) Oh man. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, man, I got to go eat some sushi. Cool. And, uh, I think we've got a pretty full up there and it's good to be back, man. It is. Talk to you. It is good to be back on. And, uh, I've got some ideas of some uh, future ups that I want to talk to you about, but, uh, that is all for now, Zach until the next time. We just rock the Casbah. These go to 11.